Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a very welcome, warm return to the book club on your third outing for Paul Trimble. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you very much for having me, Eamon. I'm beginning to catch up on Pete Wells. <laughs> yes. Uh, until they release another version of America, I guess. <laughs> and then Pete will be back, yeah. Yes. Um, and first of all, thanks um, for organising the Garth Ennis interview for me. That was a great help, and then hopefully listeners will have heard that one already before this episode comes out. So thank you for that, Paul. Very glad to be able to help him, and um, Garth was so keen to do it. Uh, he is, as you know, is a huge fan of Battle and Johnny Red in particular. And I, I think he was probably as pleased as you are to actually get on to talk about it, since the majority of interviewers tend to want to talk about his own work and uh, obviously his own creation. So I'm sure it was hugely enjoyable for him to do it as well. Yeah, it's great stuff. As you say, he was very keen to talk about Johnny Red and Battle. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, last time we had you on, of course, doing the controversial comic Darkie's Mob, um, one of the sort of most brutal comics from the 1970s in a way. And it certainly was an episode that provoked a lot of interest and comment. Um, I hope we did the story justice, Paul. I think we did. It's... I'm, I'm very proud of what we accomplished with that episode, Eamon. There was, as you say, there, there was a lot of, of, of interest and comment, a lot of feedback, uh, almost completely positive. Prior to the episode being broadcast, the situation actually rose with, a, with, 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 with an, uh, another comic, um, you know, sort of the same problem that, that Darkies Mob has been accused of. And uh, there was a bit of a fuss about it on Facebook, and I thought, uh-oh, uh, how, how, how is our Darkies Mob episode going to be received? I was very close to asking you to, to, to postpone it uh, until things died down a bit, but in the end, held fast, gritted my teeth for any backlash, um, which in the end, I'm delighted to say, didn't come. Uh, the positive, the, the comments were also very, very positive. Many saying that they had a better understanding of Darty's Mob, having listened to the podcast and would now be able to read it uh, in a new light, understanding better the situation and uh, the, the various factors you know, that have caused the controversy around Darty's Mob. Yeah, it was absolutely fascinating. And as you say, most, you know, nearly all of the comments we received were very positive, and it certainly provoked a lot of interest. So great stuff. And, you know, there's a slight, I suppose there's a slight controversial element to what we're going to talk about today. Tell us the book you've chosen to come back on the book club with, Paul. I have chosen for today's chat, Eamon, the new uh, Treasure British Comics release of Hellman of Hammerforce, written by Jerry Finley Day art by Mike Dory and Alex Henderson. And I think there's maybe an, uh, an unidentified third artist maybe that, that, that draws a couple of episodes as well. Um, but um, as I say, there, there's unfortunately no name to put to that. Yeah, it is slightly tricky um, sometimes to work out who the artists are in these cases with no credits. Um, so you, you and I, we've both got, in the last week, this collection. I've got the paperback version. I think you went for the special edition um, web shop exclusive hardback, I think, Paul. I did indeed, yes. Once I got a look at the, the new Mike Dory cover for that, 
I thought, well, that's going to that's going to come to me. Um, I also have to thank Rebellion, um, Keith and Oliver, who supplied a review copy of the PDF um, just to give us a head start on this. Otherwise, with the with the books only actually arriving this week, it would have been a real cramming session to try to prepare. Yes, it was. Thanks to them. Yeah, we did manage to get some prep work done in early. Uh, so this is from the pages of Action Comic, of course, the uh, infamous Action Comic. This collects stories that ran from the 14th of February 1976, which is the first issue of Action, right the way through to the 18th of December 1976. Thank you for correcting me on my dates and getting that right for me. Um, and while we talk about covers, you've got the Mike Dory cover. I've got the Carlos Escara cover, which, of course was a cover for an issue of Action, uh, one of the October uh, 1976 issues. I think that must have happened just before the ban on on Action, or at least the the, uh, the withdrawn issue. Yes, it, it, it wasn't. Um, it was the 23rd of October 76 issue that was the, the pulped one, so this would have been, really, this was the week before the yeah. uh, Carlos Esquera cover. And edited by Pat Mills. It says in here, original commission editors, Pat Mills and John Sanders. Um, So, for anybody who has not yet picked up this copy and doesn't know, who who is Hellman of Hammerforce? And why is this comic, uh, in a way, slightly controversial for a 1970s British war comic? Major Kurt Hellman is a German panzer commander at the outbreak of World War II. And he is a German soldier. He is has no sympathy for the Nazis. He despises all that the Nazis stand for. And he simply sees himself as a patriot fighting for his country. This is made very clear in the first episode when he confronts uh, Reich Commissioner uh, Kastner, who is a fervent Nazi and becomes Hellman's nemesis over the course of a lot of the stories, uh, when he snaps back at him, I'm a soldier, not a butcher. And uh, this this is a, the, the whole ethos of Hellman. He will try to take prisoners where possible or shoot to wound, whereas uh, Kastner will murder uh, soldier, the British soldiers um, without thinking uh, twice about it. And this really allows people to see, allows readers to see the difference between the way a soldier thinks and, 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 and the way, a, a, well, basically a fanatic thinks. So there's a distinction made there. Uh, and, and Kasner very obviously is the bad guy. Yeah, so we've got this m- remarkable character of Hellman, um, the Panzer Commander, uh, I, I guess I'm going to say slightly unusual for a British comic to take on the central character being a German soldier. Um, I mean, I think Jerry Finlay Day has done some other examples of this, but probably Hellman is the most notable one, I would guess. Hellman was, uh, as you say, really the, the first of the attempts to portray a noble German um, in comics. Uh, the stories that we, we have from this book really broadly follow the course of the early part of the war 
We follow Hellman and Hammerforce as they blitzkrieg through Belgium and France to Dunkirk, then to Greece and Crete, before we get an extended run in North Africa when the strip was retitled Hellman of the Africa Corps. After escaping then from North Africa, Kasner sees that Hellman is posted to the Russian front. So as I say, it broadly follows the the course of the war episode by episode. The the, the, the strips don't hang around. They, they really go at blitzkrieg pace through the, uh, the, the the race to Dunkirk. But yes, Hel- Hellman was Hellman was the, the the first German lead character. Battle had dipped its toe in the water with a series called Iron Cross of Courage, which launched in January 1976. They were really one-off factual stories rather than uh, a continuing series. But really, it, it's a logical progression from other media at the time. We got a, you know, at the time we were getting a new wave of war films like Kelly's Heroes, Dirty Dozen, you know, even Mash, which showed the war from maybe a less, you know, a, a patriotically view. We were, you know, you were starting to get punk rock, and as Pat would put it, youth giving the fingers to what had gone before and the establishment. Uh, in the late '76, uh, we got films like The Eagle Has Landed which told a film from the German point of view and then Cross of Iron. So it was really, as I say, a sign of the times. The Savan Hassel books, of course, were hugely popular then. Uh, I was first introduced to those in early 1976, my first year in secondary school. And they, they made a huge impression on me. I'd really never read you know, anything like this before. And of course, I mean, we had the, the, the Commandant in Colditz, the TV show Colditz as well, was a step you know, to show... Uh, someone who, who, you know, a German officer who wasn't a Nazi and, and tried to do, broadly do the, you know, the, the best he could for the men in his charge. So, but, but yes, Hellman was the first and, and it did indeed break new ground. Although, I mean, they, 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 they did, Jerry Finley, they did hedge his bets that the, the British and Anzac troops are generally portrayed as good guys. Uh, when we do meet an American, um, he's a bit less so. Uh, Colonel Rock, the French and the Greeks aren't really given, aren't portrayed in that great a light. And the Italians, Hellman isn't really terribly impressed by it at all. You know, it, it, it does it does to a degree, um, you know, it, it doesn't go st- take a step too far, you know, in portraying the portraying Hellman as, as uh, in, in, in too good a light. Now, according to, to Steve McManus's book, Battle was also developing a character with a German lead, which would be Fighter from the Sky, also written by Jerry Finley Day with art by Jeff Campion. But a gentleman's agreement between the Battle Office and Pat let Hellman appear first. Maybe just coincidentally to say this is quite interesting too, around the same time, DC Comics launched a series called Blitzkrieg. This would have been late 75 or early 76. And it was an anthology title, but it actually had stories set from the German point of view. So obviously this was bubbling in war comics sort of all over. Uh, Unfortunately, Blitzkrieg only lasted five issues. It wasn't a a success. But again, it just shows, as I say, that this, this kind of thing was was uh, 
developing both in America and Britain at the same time. It's a very interesting period, and you've mentioned lots of interesting examples. I was going to mention Sven Hassel and his incredibly successful series of books of that period. And also, while we talk about Colditz on TV, you know, you're quite right, because I seem to remember there was a lot of tension on that show between the commandant of Colditz and the Nazi representative. I think he was Major Moan, played by Anthony Valentine, I seem to remember. And we get quite a bit of that conflict here between Kastner and Hellman, don't we? That sort of, uh, you know, the noble soldier Hellman, a professional soldier trying to do his job in a decent way. And then Kastner always the sort of enemy behind him, as uh, Garth Ennis referred to last, last episode. It's a fantastic sort of interplay between them. It is, yes. And I mean, as I say, it, it allows the reader to see the difference uh, between a fanatic and a, a soldier who's just simply doing the job that he's been set to do uh, and trying to do it as best he can. Uh, Kasner is thoroughly dislikable. And uh, as I say, he, he runs through quite a few of the stories in this volume. And uh, he continues right the way through until the end of the Hellman series after action and merge of battle. So great character. And... Battle and, of course, here, the pages of action, as you say, they've got that mid-70s... It's the Pat Mills sort of slight anti-authoritarian approach to it, showing ordinary soldiers having to do extraordinary things in extraordinary times, but stuck between, you know, the enemy in front of them, but also the authorities trying to make them behave in a certain fashion or pushing them into harm's way all the time. Um, it is that sort of, you know, it's that Pat Mills almost two fingers up to authority approach to telling war stories that's so fascinating of this era, isn't it? I, 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 don't, I don't think Pat and John Wagner get really the full credit for what they did back at the time. I mean, really, it's important to remember that, that action built off the success of battle. Battle broke the mould of anything that had come before. And action then built on that um, with the same ethos, uh, the, same, the same modern styling showing, depicting working class heroes, outsiders, anti-heroes, and a lot of cases just trying to survive. Um, action was very much the Sweeney rather than Dixon of Doc Green. Very much so, yes, indeed. So you've mentioned him. Let's turn to Jerry Finlay Day and his writing. Um, as ever, it's that three-page British weekly comic uh, instalments, always action-packed, taking us through a number of different campaigns in different areas of the war that you've talked about already through Europe, North Africa, ended up on in this volume in the... Uh, the Eastern Front against the Russians. How well does um, he manage not just the depiction of uh, the German sort of panzer tank divisions, but also just the action and the storytelling? What do you make of it in this uh, this collection? Well, I I, I love Jerry Finley Day's work. Um, to me, he, he he's he's one of the stars of British comics, and unfortunately has never really, I think, received the recognition that he is due. These, these 
stories, as you say, are told in three pages. Um, this is very different to how comics are produced nowadays, where everything's pretty much written with a, a trade paperback in mind. These stories were designed to hook you for three pages, get the pulse racing, and leave you possibly with some kind of a cliffhanger that made you want to come back next week. That, 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 that's really what it was all about. Jerry Finley Day, like so many of the other writers that went on to, to, to do such great work in, in battle and action in 2000 AD, started off in girls' comics. And, the, I mean, the list of credits that, 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 that he has, I mean, it just would put so many other writers to shame. You know, in battle, D-Day Dawson, Rat Pack, Bootneck Boy, Fighter from the Sky, Panzer G-Man, The Sarge, for Valiant, he wrote Green's Grudge War, for Tornado, he wrote Blackhawk, for 2000 AD, Invasion, Fiends of the Eastern Front, The VCs, Harry 20 on the High Rock, Rogue Trooper. I mean, the body of work that Jerry Finley Day has is just staggering. It's nice to see a volume of uh, the best of Jerry Finley Day uh, being made available next year for 2080's 45th anniversary. It's, it's really nice to see that, you know, getting the recognition that his name is the most important part. Uh, but I, what I'd love to see is, is a much more comprehensive career overview, maybe including some of the, the work he did for girls, comics, battle, action, etc. you know, 2080, etc. have, have uh, you know, something that covers his entire career. It's understandable next year's 2080's 45th anniversary, you know, that this is based on his 2080 work. But the guy, he wrote so much and so many different genres. And so remarkably good at it, uh, you know, the way he moves the story on. I love his depiction of uh, Hellman as the sort of professional soldier who's very quick-witted, uh, he knows what to do in, you know, in tight spots. And as he says, I think memorably in the first episode, you know, his job is to kill tanks, not men. Um, uh, yeah, it's remarkable. And it's a shame in a way that we never get Jerry Finley Day at any conventions so that the fans can actually tell him how much he's appreciated, how much his stories mean to us all. Yes, uh, it's it's... There's not a lot of information out there. Now, what I gather is that around the mid-80s, maybe towards the late 80s, that Jerry Finley Day grew completely disillusioned with the comics industry and the way that, that he and the uh, staff were, were, were being treated and literally turned his back and walked away. And since that, as I say, it's really very hard to find anything out about about what he did or um, you know a, 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 any other work. He returned to 2000 AD to write a rogue short. Was it around the 40th anniversary issue? That's Something right. Like that. Yes, he did. But apart from that, he there have been no interviews, apart from maybe a very, very brief one that David McDonald conducted for one of the Hibernia publications, where, <laughs> shall we say, Jerry... Uh, doesn't reveal a lot. He keeps his cards very close to his chest. Yes. Um, we get very sh- brief answers. But it, 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 is, it is unfortunate. Um, it is unfortunate. Alan Hebden made contact with the, the comics fandom back around the time of 2000s, 45th, 40th. And it's been great to see the way that he has, he has 
received the acclaim and uh, the, the, the the credit, you know, that, that has been due to him. I mean, he, he's another fabulous writer. Um, and I only wish that, that, that Jerry Finley Day would, would reconsider and maybe make some contact with the comics fandom. I, I would absolutely love to have him over at Comic Fest at some point. Uh, and just to see what his, you know, his work means and the popularity that it still has. You know, the Sarge is being collected next year. And on the Battle Fans page that's, that's, that I, I set up, you know, I mean, literally, people can't wait for this to come in in collected form. And, you know, to, to think that it's so many years later and it still holds that power to, to captivate readers uh, you know, it, it's it's a sign of great writing, and, and Jerry Finley Day was a great writer. Indeed, absolutely fantastic stuff. And as you say, the, the sheer number of great stories that he's written for a variety of titles uh, is astonishing. And yeah, if anybody knows Jerry, see if they can get him to go to the Enniskillen Comic Fest. Um, we'd love to meet him and get him to sign some of this and talk to him about it. Okay, well, let's turn to... Uh, the artwork, Paul. We start, mm. I think, quite obviously and clearly with Mike Dory artwork, black and white mostly. Uh, there is a two-page color center spread, um, which was was that the was that a May issue? I think in the middle of this book. Yes, it starts in black and white. Um, the one color spread that Hellman got right is reproduced here. As you know, the star of of action was Hookjaw, and Hookjaw generally would have had the double page center spread in color. Um, but on this occasion, Hellman was awarded the the center spread. The color the the, the color works okay. Um, they yeah. actually reproduced it quite well for the crappy paper that it would have been printed on back at the time. So it is quite faithful. But as you say, I I, I, th- I think Hellman really works better in black and white. Um, it, it just the art is is more powerful. It does indeed. So let's stick with Mike Dory's black and white artwork. Um, mm. Notable as ever for his textures on the page, depicting smoke and flames, uh, the gloom and darkness of war. We know from other interviews he's done that he did this often with cloths, J-cloths dipped in ink to apply these textures on the page. What do you make of uh, Dory's work here in Hellman? Oh, I, I love Mike Dory's work. When I think of Hellman, it's Mike Dory I think of. Uh, his art, uh, I, I just love the, the, the griminess of it and the smoke-blackened tanks and whatnot. You know, it really adds such a sense of, of the grittiness of the art. Uh, I, I just... Uh, he, of course, based Hellman on Robert Shaw, um, the Panzer commander in the Battle of the Bulge. So he has given Hellman the same sort of buzz cut and, and, and look. Uh, but I, I just, I love Mike Dory's art. And to me, Mike Dory is Hellman. It is. It's this definitive Hellman look, isn't it? He sort of like defines yeah. the character right from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about the depiction of the Panzer tanks and the various sort of like artillery and uh, machinery of warfare? How does he do on all that, do you think? Well, I, I can't claim to be an expert on it, but, I mean, to me, everything looks real. 
the pieces of equipment strapped to the sides of the back of the tanks, the motorcycles, the, the, the uniforms, the gear that they wear. I, I wouldn't nitpick. Uh, to me, he does a fabulous job in capturing the, the hardware all the time. And uh, as I say, I, I just, to me, Mike Dory is the definitive Hellman artist and always will be. And fortunately for us, Paul, he's still drawing Hellman. And I think we're allowed to say now, because this will be after the announcement, that he's going to be he's going to be in the battle action special for 22. Yes, he is indeed. Uh, I've known about this for a while now, and it has been very difficult not to let something slip somewhere along the line. But um, th- there is the new special coming out at some point next year. Uh, it hasn't been scheduled yet uh, at this point as we are talking, but I believe the announcement is fairly imminent. And um, Mike DeWarrie returned to Hellman in the Action 2020 special last year, and it was just fabulous to see his interpretation of Hellman and, and uh, the crew after so long. Uh, he has lost nothing. In, in, in his style of art. So it, it really will be a treat to see uh, Hillman return again in the Battle Action special next year. And he, he actually shares the strip with another character, but I maybe better say nothing about that at the minute. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, it's so exciting that we're getting another Battle Action special for 22, and Mike Dory, thank goodness, is still drawing and producing this wonderful artwork. Um, I love the inky black pages where it's really very dark. Um, it just gives you that sort of sense of the awful nature of uh, tank warfare in a way. Being inside those tanks was no, it was certainly no picnic. It was an unpleasant experience in itself. That sort of oily smoke that must have filled the cabins. And you get that feeling from the wonderful textures that Mike puts on the page. Definitely, and and the claustrophobic nature of the, the tank crew, uh, you know, as well the situation that they found themselves in, the griminess of the whole thing, as you say, the smoke that would have been coming in, uh, the limited visibility and ventilation, it, it it Mike captures all that perfectly. And of course, this is in the pages of action, uh, the notoriously controversial and violent comic. So there's a fair amount of unflinching. Uh, wartime action, you know, even though Hellman is trying to fight uh, an honourable conflict, there is, you know, there is a fair bit of violent action. Although, as you say, unlike Hookjaw, it probably didn't need the the violent reds that they would give to the Hookjaw pages uh, to tell the story. Mike Dory does it brilliantly in black and white and puts us right there in the conflict. Well, it's, it's interesting to note, I mean, as, as you read on through the book, now, Pat Mills commented somewhere, and I've, I've searched this week to try to find where it is. I'm nearly sure it's a video clip. It may be in the extended interview on the Blu-ray of Future Shock. But Pat talks about, after, I mean, action was such a huge success, he, he handed the editorial duties over to an editorial team. So he wasn't you know, directly responsible for, for action you know, after it had, it, had, it, had, it had cemented its popularity. 
But he, he talks about the, I mean, as you know, action very quickly drew the attention of the establishment and uh, it, it was termed the seven penny nightmare. It got a lot of, of criticism in, in the media. But Pat mentioned in, the, in this clip that the editorial team began to get, you know, a little bit reckless and they, they, they sort of relished the notoriety that the, that action had developed. And they began to push the envelope a little bit. The initial Hellman stories are very are very tough and hard hitting, but sort of by 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 the end of July 1976, we're starting to see you know Hellman cut a chain holding a tank on a on on a train car, and that chain swinging back and hitting partisans in the face. You know, a Russian takes a sickle to his head. You know, in in a, in a story. A tank crewer burnt with a flamethrower. A Russian backpacker backpack bomb goes off, blowing the, the carrier to smithereens. Hellman smashes a bottle on the head of an SS man. You know, Russians garroting German sentries. You know, all this is actually shown on panel. Hellman throws a bottle of vodka over a Russian radio operator, and you actually see the operator frying on panel. So the violence becomes very obvious. Uh, I mean, certainly there was violence in the earlier episodes as well, but they weren't, it wasn't shown, I think, just quite as graphically. Um, and while the media's fixation was on other strips like Death Game 1999 and Hookjaw, the amount of violence in those strips, um, Hellman certainly had its fair share uh, and, you know, contributed to this a step too far when the 23rd of October issue was then pulped. Um, and, and just to put that into context as well, the interesting thing is that very same week, the 23rd of October, 1976, Valiant had actually merged with Battle. So all of a sudden, IPC found themselves without two, you know, a good-selling comic in Valiant and probably their best-selling comic in action. Both of those were missing off the newsstand of, the, of that week, which, I mean, imagine the, the, the degree of, of concern that the, the IPC higher-ups would have, would have uh, you know, felt at that time. You know, again, looking back in hindsight, you know, it's um, you know it's just something we talk about, but really putting yourself in the shoes of of the editors and whatnot back at that time, they must have been running scared. Indeed, and of course we get to the twenty third of October, nineteen seventy six, in this collection. And interestingly, we were talking about this before we started recording. They show they had the last panel of the uh, the three pages for that issue was redrawn for when it came back on the shelves on the 4th of December. Um, mm. And it mentions how they'd removed a depiction of Joseph Stalin himself. Um, although, as you were saying before, Paul, that may be more for story reasons because of what he suggests might happen to Hellman, I think. Is that right? Well, again, it's only a guess, Eamon. In, in the last panel of the uncensored strip, Stalin basically puts a bounty on, on Hellman's head, and maybe that was felt as just, you know, a, a step too far again. 
I mean, Stalin is, is obviously a real, a real character, real person. So it, it may, it may, uh, they, they may simply have have wanted to keep Stalin out, or it may have had something to do with uh, where the storyline would have gone. They, there only are two more episodes of set in the Russian front. And then very quickly, the, the story moves to Italy, which we'll see when volume two of Hellman will come out. Just the Russian aspect was obviously something they wanted to get away from as quickly as they possibly could, for one reason or another. It's fascinating stuff. And, I mean, you, you're right, the violence ramps up as it goes along. And, in fact, that last page, uh, you know, features a, an axe bouncing back off the tank armour to sort of... Uh, uh, you know, back at it's the person who's thrown it. Um, do you think when all the questions were being asked in the media and, uh, you know, even in Houses of Parliament about action and the seven penny nightmare, do you think there was an element of the depiction of a German uh, soldier that, you know, part of it was them breaking the rules and showing a noble German officer trying to fight a decent war and just trying to survive in desperate situations? Or was it, do you think, it was mainly the whipped-up moral panic about violence in comics? That's an interesting question. I'm, I'm afraid I really... Again, it's something I, I, I wouldn't know for sure. Anything I've read about the history of action and... The, the 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 fuss that it created in the media tends to talk about the comic on as a whole, with I think Hookjaw and Deathkey in nineteen ninety nine coming in for the most criticism. I mean, certainly the cover for the twenty the, the original cover for the twenty third of October nineteen seventy six issue has a. Uh, spinball player on his motorcycle on the front but it has suicide mentioned three times and the text blurbs on the cover whether individual stories beyond those two were singled out in the media I don't know, I haven't really read enough of it there are the various television interviews that were carried out at the time I don't seem to exist anymore there's certainly nothing on YouTube which would make very interesting viewing if someone could could turn those up. But at the minute, we can really only base the information on, as I say, the few contemporary newspaper articles that have that have been that have been reprinted, that have been collected online, uh, of which I've read a few. But it's it's a fascinating topic and it's you know very it's a critical time for comics. It is, and I, I guess from what you're saying that I'm not alone in having done YouTube searches for Frank Boff tearing up a copy of Action on TV, which I can't find, but um, was, you know, alleged to have happened, I believe. Yes, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the story. Um, the, the, there are rumours that this, this show exists or, or parts of it exist in an archive, but I don't know. I've, I've, <laughs> like you, I've, I've repeatedly searched for this and, you know, anything, and, and there, there certainly doesn't seem to be anything that is commonly accessible at the minute. There may be collectors have it somewhere, but uh, there doesn't seem to be anything in general circulation, unfortunately. 
Okay, well, let's before I turn you back to the artwork, Paul, let's talk a little bit about the depiction of the German officer and, shall we say, the professional soldier. And, you know, stuck in this conflict, trapped in a way between the enemy um, that he has to face, but also the authorities in the form of the Nazis, uh, Major Kastner particularly. Um, What is it about the life of the ordinary soldier in these extraordinary times that's so fascinating in these comics, do you think? Well, again, it goes back to Pat Mills and John Wagner. Uh, they they shook up comics in the 70s like nothing had before. Previously in, in war stories, we had dashing captains and lieutenants, you know, leading their, their men to victory. I mean, that's the way it, it had been through the, the 60s. Um, it was the same in films. That, that was very much the way that, that war films were portrayed. And it, it wasn't until we got sort of this outlaw look at, at uh, World War II in the, the, the late 60s or early 70s that, that this this other way of looking looking at things began to become popular. Battle was was, was the first. There was nothing like it before. Action built on that, uh, and then 2000 AD followed on again. But all three had the same. All three had the same ethos behind them of the every man, the, the outsider. You know, characters argued and fought and had problems. In, in their day-to-day life. I, I see comments from time to time, you know, I, I, I don't like war stories, you know, which I guess is fair enough, but perhaps that person doesn't really understand that the stories that appeared in battle and action in the case of Hellman, they're, they're not your typical war story that, that you're referring to, uh, the, the, the old-fashioned style, you know, maybe with a more jingoistic attitude Battle and, and action and on into 2008 tended to just feature soldiers just really trying to live, trying to survive. I mean, it's, you look you look at 2008. I mean, essentially, invasion is, could be a World War II story instead of the Volgans. If you thought the, the Germans invaded England in 1940, um, you know, and, and shot Winston Churchill on the steps of of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm. Well, essentially, Bill Savage, you know, and, and the resistance, it would just, you could read it, it would work just as well that way. It would, yes. It, as you say, it's a very, that's a very sort of wartime story um, there. And again, uh, obviously, that's Jerry Finley Day as well, isn't it? Um, let me turn you back to the artwork then, Paul. Because we've got to mention as Alex Henderson and as possibly a third unnamed artist, um, particularly in the middle sections of this collection, where the artwork becomes slightly more, I'm going to say, possibly standard fare. It doesn't have those dark, inky textures that we associate with Mark Dory. Did you have any thoughts about that middle section of artwork before Mike comes back to the strip? Oh, sorry, if I, if, if I could just backtrack for yeah, one sure. second... I meant to mention when we were talking about action and we were talking about stories there and everyday heroes, we really should mention battle editor Dave Hunt and, yes. and sub-editor Steve McManus. 
because a lot while, while, while Pat and John developed this 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 type of, of approach to characterization, it was then driven onward and encouraged by Dave and Steve. And you know, they they had their hand on, on the steering wheel for so many of the great battle characters. And indeed, when Hellman joined battle after the merger with action, it was it was Dave, you know, that that um, was in charge at the time. Steve still was, I think, uh, on battle at that time. I'm not, not, not quite sure on that one. But um, the, as, as good as these stories of Hellman are, the battle stories are, are, are even better. Hellman returns to the Russian front and we see the, the defence of Berlin. So the, the battle stories, I know, again, are another favourite of Garth Ennis. So you might well get you might well get a repeat visit from him when they when rebellion finally get around to doing the the, the battle stories of Elma. But anyway, sorry to go back to your point, the art. Alex Henderson is an artist. I'm, I'm not haven't read really a lot of his work. Uh, he drew the Steel Commando, which I have the the Treasury of British Comics volume. Unfortunately, they decided to print it at a smaller size, which I don't think did it any justice. At really needed a magnifying glass, you know, to be able to read it. Right. But um, he, he also drew Zip Nolan, I believe, for Valiant, which was a sort of a cop story where you have to spot something where, where the, the villain slipped up and solved the crime before Zip Nolan did. But I'm not overly familiar with with, with anything else. He's a, a very solid artist. And I think as his work goes on, it, it becomes more influenced by Dory. So what you know when you get towards the end of the book, there is a there is a, a a real grittiness to the art, you know the the Stalin story that we're talking about there and whatnot, when uh, Hellman gets put in charge of the penal battalion, so he, he really I think the, his art gets more suitable to Hellman as it goes on. There is there is this suspicion of a of an uncredited artist. Uh, I, I know even Moose Harris who ran the the action um, website identifies a potential third artist. Again, there's no names and, and, and whatnot. So we'll see. I, I think maybe volume the next volume, there's maybe more of that artist's artwork and maybe someone will be able to, to identify who it is. And then we also get Jim Watson draws some of, of Hellman and Pat Wright also who have, have great distinctive art styles. And then when Hellman does return, Oh, sorry, goes into battle. We get the return of Mike Dory, who draws quite a bit of it there uh, on the Russian front and the the defence of Berlin. So Dory was there at the beginning and at the end. And of course, yes, and he defines the character at the start. Possibly that's why when he's not there, it seems so noticeable to me. You mentioned, of course, you know, Hellman's adventures are going to continue. Uh, he's fought in Europe. He's fought in, in Africa, North Africa. He's fought on the Russian front. As you say, next time he's going to be back in Italy, is he? Yes, the, 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 the Russian front storyline was truncated. And the, the volume that we have here uh, sees the last episode with Hellman's tank basically going through the ice in a Russian lake. This was the, the, the towards the tail end of, of 1976. And when Hellman then reappeared, which will be the beginning of Volume 2 when it gets released, they had moved the action away from possibly the more brutal and controversial Russian campaign 
to the sunnier climes of Italy, where the Allies are beginning to make their way up, having uh, having successfully invaded Sicily and then moving on through through the Italian campaign. Fascinating stuff still to come then. Loads of Hellman's stories still to come. Um, in mm. this particular collection, any particular favourite moments or, or episodes that you noted, <laughs> Paul? Well, going through some of some of the, the conversation topics, Eamon, this, this was really the hardest. I quite literally, right up until this recording started, uh, have been looking at pages, I've been rereading, I've been trying to pick one over another, it's such a solid book of storytelling that it's very, very, very hard to pick out particular favourites. Uh, as I've said, I, I, I do re- repeatedly said, uh, Mike Dory is my definitive Hellman artist. And um, as far as stories would go, I always had a very, very great fondness for the um, the story where the where Hellman's on his way to Dunkirk and he runs into a group of Highlanders. Um, it's on page 12 of the the, the uh, collected edition. Uh, for some reason, that, that story stuck in my mind uh, from the time I read it when I was a kid. I'm not really sure why, but it's, uh, I think it just has a bit of everything. It's got some great tank action. It's got you know some great fight. Uh, the Scots are obviously very distinctive in their kilts and their bonnets, so... I don't know why, but I just that, that that story has stayed with me ever since I first read it, and it's it's one that I've I've always enjoyed. Uh, the The war in North Africa has always been of interest to me. I think the very first set of Airfix model soldiers I got were the Africa Corps. As a kid, I mean, I had no idea. I pronounced it the Africa Corps, and it was my father who pointed out to me that that, that the, the actual pronunciation of it. So, uh, that was that was something I remember from the time as well. So I've always had a fondness for the, the war in North Africa. So the, the episode where, where Hellman arrives in Tripoli, which is page 24, so you get the, the tanks being unloaded on the docks at Tripoli. You get Hellman making a few disparaging comments about the Italians. Uh, and then you get the, the, uh, the attack by the Long Range Desert Group which was something very different. North Africa didn't tend to feature terribly often in war stories. So this North African campaign, uh, I enjoyed very much at the time. Then there's the the, the Habruk two-parter, the, the city, on uh, the, the uh, port in North Africa that was so important to, to the Germans, which is really Tubruk. Um, they, they changed the name for the comet. And it, it was defended by Anzac troops, and there's two part a two part story here where the uh, the Germans are besieging Tobruk or Habruk maybe I should call it, and then actually actually uh, take it, which again are are very strong uh, stories, great camera angles. We get field guns, we get tanks, we get soldiers, we get pretty much everything uh, contained in it. So, but I mean, I could I could really pick any any one of these. It's very, very hard to single any of them out. The Russian, uh, the penal battalion stuff is very, very strong as well, where Hellman is put in charge of this Legion of the Damned, as they, they're referred to, which, of course, another connection to Sven Hassel. But as I say, I, I could really pick pretty much any story in this. They're all well worth a read. 
it's all great stuff throughout. I did indeed, like yourself, I did like the sort of Legion of the Damned that he ends up with as his uh, panzer troops uh, towards the yeah. end of this volume. But yeah, there's some memorable moments. The the Highland, the battle with the Highlanders is great. Okay, well, what about the artwork itself? If we if we say that this artwork is available and we can afford it, what are going to be your Grail pages? Well, this 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 was equally as difficult. Yes, picking a story and. Any of Mike DeRay's pages, I would quite happily welcome on my wall. You know, somebody said you can't have your grill, but you can have this one. Well, believe me, I would snatch it out of their hands so quickly. Anything Mike Dory wise on Hellman would do me. The splash page of the Dunkirk story on page fifteen is incredibly powerful, where you get the silhouette of um, the Panzer in the burning remains of of uh, the town of Dunkirk, and then the queues of, of prisoners that the Germans are taking. And then, of course, you see in the final panel, you see the Tommies evacuating on the beach. So, I mean, that one page pretty much sums up the Dunkirk experience. So I mean, that, that one now would be particularly nice. The page just before, page 14, the, the last page of the Highlanders story is, is another cracker where... You know, the the one of the, the soldiers attempts to bayonet Hellman and there's the great reverse shot of him charging with the, the, the rifle with the bayonet attached and then Hellman gets him with with uh, with his knife. You know, that, that that's another stunning page in, in composition. The last one that I'm going to restrict myself to is page forty-three, which is the in in North Africa where you get the the procession. The tank column, which are attacked by a kitty hawk, which drops a bomb. You know, again, it is pretty much everything that has got your tank column. It has got Hellman with a machine gun, and it's got Kasner, and it has got planes diving. <laughs> again, pretty much everything that you would want on one page. So any one of those three. Or, of course, if somebody offered me the cover to the hardcover, <laughs> um, it's a stunning, stunning image. The, the cover to the trade paperback is great. I mean, it's Carlos Esquera, so you really can't go wrong. But it's, it, it, and certainly I wouldn't turn it away. But I mean, that's really the only time he ever drew Hellman. So the, the Dory cover to the hardcover would be, would be my pick of the two. But as I say, any of Dory's pages, I, I would be delighted to display on my wall. Fantastic. Well, we'll give you all of those pages in the Virtual Art Gallery, Paul. Yes, I should mention that there are a few of action covers at the back of this volume, including that Carlos one, which makes up the uh, trade paperback version I've got. Uh, but yeah, we'll give you those pages. I was, I, yeah, you picked one of my choices, but guests go first. <laughs> so I will pick, I think, the start of the Highlander episode. Um, which I think in here is going to be, what, page 12 uh, in this collection. Mm -hmm. I want something that's got the sort of Mike Dory textures on the page and the, you know, that the tank and yeah. everything. So um, it's very dark. It's very lovely. But I will post all these images when the episode comes out. I did look on the Comic Art Fans site to see if there were any Mike Dory pages and the only Hellman of Hammerforce piece that comes up is actually a Mike Dory commission, which looks like it belongs to another book clubber, Chris Wright. 
who has a commission from Mike Dory. That's the only one I can see on there at the moment. So I don't know if any of this artwork does survive, but those are the ones we'd go for anyway. Yes, Mike Mike has his own website and he offers illustrations for sale. He, he will take on commissions as well, but he, he has, generally speaking, he has, you know, maybe 10 or 12 pieces that he has drawn already that are available through the website. I've bought a couple of of uh, Hellman pieces from him myself and uh, I, I got a commission from him on the back when I got first in touch with Mike. I got a commission uh, just really when he was dipping his toe back into into comics again. Uh, but if anybody is interested in a Mike Dory piece, just uh, go onto Mike's website and you can either select a piece that has that he has on there already. And his prices are incredibly reasonable. Uh, there are some beautiful pieces on there that won't break the bank. Or if you want a commission, you know, he is, is approachable. Fantastic. I will put a link to Mike Dory's website in the show notes description for this episode. So check it out there. And yeah, go and support Mike Dory. Um, uh, you know, it's his work is just wonderful. And this stuff is great. Um, I'll mention quickly, Paul, one thing the volume doesn't have, which is an introduction or any sort of additional matter. And having just done some of the Titan collections where we get those wonderful Garth Ennis introductions, would you, I mean, I, you know, we have to be grateful for the Treasury of British Comics putting out these collections, but would you like a little bit of extra matter with them as well? If I can niggle, and I have total respect for what the Treasury of British Comics line has released and accomplished, the reproduction of the art is so good and it's wonderful that they're making this material available again. But yes, one niggle is a lack of supplement, an introduction or maybe some supplemental material that were a part and parcel of the Titan editions, which really set the scene for the story and added some information about maybe the situation the story was set in. Now, I believe there was there was talk at one point of an introduction for Hellman. I'm not sure how much I should say, but uh, I, I actually offered to do it, but I think at that point it was too late on down the line. I, I um, had, had offered to run a few questions by Mike Dory and put it all together. What does it say? Possibly the budget for the book had been had been used up or it was just simply too late in the production of it. Um, but but yes, I, I do miss I do miss something like that uh, in, in these books. But um, you know, in a perfect world, we, we would have it. But I'm just glad to get to get the, the the books at all. Yes, and we are. I mean, we're delighted that the Treasury of British Comics actually putting out these collections, and we're looking forward to some more in 22, including uh, the Sarge, as you've said, by Jerry Finley Day. Uh, yeah, lots to look forward to, and you can get. Your copy of Hellman of Hammer Force from the Treasury and 2080 web store uh, or from your local comic book shop or bookshop.org. I think the hard cap, hardback collector's edition is now sold out, but I got the trade paperback for $12.99 and I presume the digital $9.99 version will be along shortly, certainly by the time this episode comes out in January, Paul. So it's fairly easy to get a hold of, thank goodness. It is, yes. I mean, it would be available from, from, from any comic shop uh, they can order it for you or or from the treasury of british comics 
I believe the, the, the hardcover was limited to 200 copies. I'm, I'm not sure of that. Sometimes the, the web store exclusives will actually say on the book how, how many they are limited to, but this one doesn't. So I'm not quite sure. There was a story went around that part of the shipment from the printers to Rebellion had gone astray and that possibly not even the full 200 copies have been made available. That I don't know for sure, but um, it is listed as sold out on the Treasury website. And if you do fancy the hardcover, well, possibly your only hope then would be eBay um, or possibly somebody has an additional copy that they, they you know, they, they want to trade or, or sell on. Um, what it is, it's a beautiful book and, uh, uh, you know, a great addition to anybody's bookshelf. Fantastic stuff. And, you know, what a fantastic and uh, interesting period of British comics, that mid-70s period, battle, action, and then leading up to 2000 AD, and this whole subject of, you know, um, the anti-authority, the sort of ordinary soldiers just trying to do their job in terrible circumstances. It's all, the whole subject is just endlessly fascinating to us, Paul, isn't it? As you say, Eamon, it's just an amazing time in British comics. Pat and John were turning the industry on its head. And it's something, you know, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk to you about this today. And, you know, to recommend 2008 fans, you know, please do check out some of the action and battle material. It may not be what you would expect it to be, you know. If, you, if you're a John Wagner fan on Dread, check out Darkies Mob or HMS Nightshade. Um, you know, you really won't be disappointed. Uh, there was a lot of cracking material back then that has been unavailable for so long. Um, it really is fantastic that, that Rebellion are doing this, that they have bought the rights to all of these titles. And they, they just they, I'm afraid they just can't put the stuff out quickly enough for me. Yes. <laughs> I would be quite happy. I would be quite happy. My bank balance wouldn't be, but I would be quite happy to have these books come and go thick and fast. <laughs> Indeed, yes. As you say, it would uh, our banks' accounts would suffer. But yeah. Oh well, great stuff from the Treasury. Um, fascinating pick. And you mentioned HMS Nightshade. Stay tuned to this podcast. Uh, there'll be adventures from HMS Nightshade coming up before too long as well. It's another favourite of mine, so I look forward to that. Uh, it'll be another uh, great episode. Great stuff. Paul, I'm going to turn you to guest projects and your own uh, stuff. Now, we're recording, as people will probably gather, in December 21 for an episode that's going to come out in January 22. Um, fingers crossed, the Comic Fest of Enniskillen is coming back, we hope, in 2022. This is a question that I get asked so much. And, I mean, certainly... I miss comic conventions so badly, just as an opportunity to meet friends and uh, the creators who, who a lot in a lot of cases have become friends over the years too. So they're, they're just a great experience. Um, comic Fest has traditionally been an event where we've, we've tried to appeal to everyone. We have had some of the legends of British comics over, but we always try to feature Dino creators and as well as, as, as something for to bring kids in, who of course are the next generation of comics readers, as well as give a platform to, to local creators and small press, 
we embrace comics on the whole. Um, but I have, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been making inquiries of the venue that we would, we would use and some of the, the bodies which offer some funding. And as things stand at the minute, the problem is we're, we're making decisions now for, for something that, you know, could be five or six months down the line. But at the minute, I'm afraid our traditional format of Comic Fest, um, both the venue and the funders, are a bit reluctant to embrace something on, on that scale. Just really coming down to COVID, secu- you know, uh, s- s- security, and, and um, it's hard to know just what precautions you would have to take. I mean, it, it, our, our, uh, is, is, is PVC sheeting needed, you know, between guests and, and, and the fans? Just to what extent that the safety precautions have to be taken is still very much up in the air. You know, it's, it's all well and good for these huge NCM conventions and whatnot, but smaller ones wouldn't have the same funding for safety measures that you would maybe have to take. Uh, and as I say, nobody knows what the situation is going to be in, in five or six months anyway. I, I, I would really hope to be able to run something on a likely on, on a smaller scale, possibly more along the lines of a signing session than a, a proper comic fest to give comics fans an opportunity to meet some of uh, the creators and you know, have an opportunity to, to 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 meet up. I have I have something that's that's coming together. I'm not sure how much to actually say, but we, um, I mean, as was revealed or has been revealed, I believe by this point, there is a, there is a battle action special coming next year from Gareth Ennis. And I'm, I'm hoping to put something together for that, but it's, it's just so much is up in the air at the minute. It's very, very hard to know. Um, I've been in touch with, a number of creators, and uh, at the minute, they, uh, they 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 are prepared to, to travel. But as I say, it, it, it's going to have to be space is going to have to be allowed for. So it, it, it's it's going to have to be run differently to what a comic fest would actually be. But I'd like to think that this will come together, and it will it will be. Uh, it's a very special event, believe me, if, if it comes together the way that I'm hoping it will. Uh, but it just won't be Comic Fest as we know it, unless the situation changes drastically, which, um, who knows? Yeah. I also run the, I also run the OMA Comic Fest, which traditionally is, has been in the second half of the year, usually sort of at some point in September. And possibly the situation may be better then for a more traditional comic fest event, but we'll just have to wait and see. You know, get through Christmas and see just uh, you know what way this new variant has been dealt with, and you know just what way things stand then. 
Okay, and uh, you know the best place to look, I guess, is the Enniskillen Comic Fest page on Facebook to keep uh, keep up with any updates as we go into twenty two. Yes, if you if you if you like the Enniskillen Comic Fest Facebook page or the Oma Comic Fest Facebook page, uh, the announcements will be made on there first. Um, obviously, the Battle Fans page will get a notification of of anything battle related. Um, or my own page for 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 anyone that's a uh, has a is a friend of mine on Facebook. We also have a Twitter account. We have an Instagram. Uh, so the news will will be carried on there as well. So I'll put all these links in the show notes, and then we will just mention Battle Fans, the Facebook group, which I think recently passed a significant membership um, milestone. Uh, that's the, that's a great place to discuss battle and all the various strips from this fascinating era i think paul it's it, it was something i started up when i was on furlough last year and it was for the the anniversary of of battle i wanted to mark it so i i had time on furlough and went ahead and, and, and launched this page and recently as you mentioned the might so we actually have over 2,000 members of the page now, which <laughs> I would never have dared dream when I launched it that we would we would get um, we, we would get that that number. It's we we, we don't stick completely to battle. We, we touch on broader subjects. Uh, we talk about war films. We talk about uh, books. Uh, we make you know recommendations for each other. Uh, if anybody has comics that they want to sell you can post them on there too so we we, we don't stick religiously to, to, to battle but we, we, we i always like to try to maintain the focus on on the war to some degree with posts we don't stray off that but it's it's great it's it's, it's i'm delighted the, the amount of interaction and comment that we get on the page and uh, everybody seems to enjoy it. The feedback I get is very, very you know, good on it as well. So please do, if you have any interest in, in World War II or the, the, the comics, please give us a look. It's just if you put battle fans into the, the search on Facebook, you'll find us. Please do. It is a, a great resource and a great friendly community. And I, again, I shall try and put all these links in the show notes for this episode. We've got we've got so many of the battle creators or members of it, and they will post. You know, we have uh, John Wagner's a member, Steve McManus is a member, Mike Dory's a member, Ian Kennedy, Alan Hebden, Cam Kennedy. You know, the list goes on, and they, they will pop in from time to time, uh, reply to a post. Um, we have Peter Western, who is Mike Western's son, who very graciously made available diary pages. Um, that his dad had written while he was drawing for battle, which were posted on the page. So there's all sorts of treasures crop up from time to time from the creators of the comic, which uh, I'm, I'm delighted to say they, they uh, all approve of what we're doing and are, are valued members. And treasures is a good, uh, a good term for describing what some of these creators and their families provide to that group. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, so much um, insight and uh, interesting little details. Well, it's always nice to get, to get uh, you know, confirmation. Unfortunately, Battle started, when Battle started, there were no credits on the comics. 
And it was the same with action. It wasn't until, I believe it was Kevin O'Neill uh, slipped them into some of the, the strips in 2000 AD uh, that, that, that readers began to be aware of who the writers and artists actually were and then could follow one from one strip to another, uh, which, of course, then battle, battle followed suit and really from... You know, the, 79 or 80 onward, we, we had the, these credits uh, and you could tell. But the the writers and artists of the early strips were uncredited and it's Steve Holland has done remarkable work in identifying a lot of the, the writers and artists um, but there's still quite a bit of work to do in putting names to these strips and this is something that, that I'm ongoing with at the minute is to try to identify the writers and artists. Dave Hunt, the editor, has been, who's a member, of course, I don't know if I mentioned Dave, uh, has been very helpful. Steve McManus, uh, John Wagner, have all been a great help in in identifying who, who these writers and artists are. So, that they, you know, we can properly acknowledge them. Yeah, fantastic stuff, uh, Paul. It's a great, you know, it's a great place to go. And uh, as you say, a chance to talk with some of these creators and acknowledge their work. Uh, it's so important. Fantastic! Thank you for giving up your time this Saturday, Paul, and choosing the fun, you know, the fascinating Helmet of Hammerforce to come on the book club with. It has been an absolute pleasure, Eamon. Uh, you know, if you wanted me on every week to talk about a battle uh, story or, or, or book, I, I'm your man. I'm there anytime you want me. Just, just let me know. Okay. Well, I look forward to your return um, when we'll be recording again next year, Paul. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the links to all uh, the stuff we've been talking about and to all of Paul's projects on megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and the 2000AD forums. And email me comments, suggestions, uh, and any books that you'd like to come on the book club and cover to mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and... Uh, well, it has to be Auf Wiedersehen from me and Hellman. Wow.